Are you looking for a church home or simply a weekly message that will revive your spirit? Each week, Pastor John Butler delivers applicable messages that will refuel your spiritual man and bring a new desire to your heart. Here's Pastor John Butler with this week's encouraging message. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. I'm reading from the NIV. It says, Do we not all have one Father? And did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do. God's on a roll this morning. Another thing. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because He no longer looks with favor on your offerings and accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why. It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her. Though she's your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to Him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. You see a a, a recurring theme in that scripture there? God is telling His children that there was a promise, uh, there was a problem in their lifestyle and, and the problem was they were being unfaithful. They're being unfaithful. Today, We're going to talk about building a house of faithfulness. A house of faithfulness. Why don't you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and I just ask, Lord, that you would anoint the the preaching and the reading of your word. I pray, God, that you, through my one voice, would work that miracle of communication, and may we, all of us, each of us individually, receive what it is that your Spirit is trying to say to us today. And may we have the courage and the boldness to admit our, our mistakes to admit our sin and, Lord, to repent and to turn from them so that our relationship with you can continue to grow closer and closer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So for the last three weeks, if you haven't been here, we've been discussing, we've been in a series from Malachi called Getting the House in Order. And so today we're going to, to talk about building a house of faithfulness. We have already uh, seen from the book of Malachi what it is that w- we need to help us get our, our house in order. We don't want to just do stuff. We want to do stuff God's way. Amen. We want to do God's stuff and we want to do it God's way. If we're going to build a house that God can bless, if we're going to build a family, a, a home that God can bless, then it's got to be, he, he's told us from Malachi, it's got to be built on a foundation of love. It's got to rise with walls of honor as we honor Him in our words and in our worship and in our walk and in our work. So we've built this house. We've laid this foundation of love. We've built these walls of honor. But what's missing from our house? What is it that protects a house? What holds it together? What, what keeps everything in place when the wind starts to blow? What is it that keeps everything dry when the rain starts to fall? What is it that we're missing from our house? Some of you builders, you got a foundation, you got walls, you need a roof. You need a roof. So to, every house needs a roof. 
Something that's going to cover and protect. Something that's going to be dependable. Something that's not going to blow off with with the slightest wind. If we're going to build a house that God can bless, whether it's a church or a home, then we've got to have it covered, supported, and strengthened with faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now God looked at His people as they began to rebuild their lives and as He began to to point out through the prophet Malachi the problems in their construction process. Now this was... This was not a problem in their literal construction of their homes because that was already done. But God was was talking to them about the way they were rebuilding their society. See, they had already been taken into captivity. That was the judgment of God upon Israel. They had already been taken into captivity through the kingdom of Assyria and the kingdom of Babylon. And so now the, the, uh, the kings, the heathen kings, have released them to go back to Jerusalem, go back to Israel, and rebuild their culture, rebuild their, found, their, their, uh, their society. So they've come back and they've built their houses... And, and in some cases, the, the walls of the city are built, the temple's being rebuilt, but God's looking back on them and sees all this construction, and He wants them to understand, you are rebuilding just like the house that just fell. If you're going to do something different, if you're going to get a different result, you better build on a different foundation. And so God got their attention through the prophet Malachi and said, you're going through, you're doing this wrong, and if you don't change, you're going to wind up in the same place you were that you just returned from. You're going to wind up back in captivity. If not literally, then spiritually. And so God is trying to get their attention and help them to understand the flaws in their construction process. Now, in the passage we just read, God tells them that they are not being faithful. He said you're being unfaithful. About five or six times in those six or seven verses, He said unfaithful. And it's not just in one area. He identifies four different areas to them uh, in which their loyalty, their reliability, their commitment level was not up to God's standards. And today we're going to explore those areas and see how they might apply to us as we strive to live lives, to have lives and families and churches that God is pleased with and that can stand the test of time. So the first area of the four that Malachi mentions in this, in this scripture is that we've been unfaithful to God's people. God is calling us to be faithful to His people. Look at verses 9 and 10. We didn't read 9 together, so if you've still got your Bible open, flip over there and look at verse 9 together. It says, So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you've not followed my ways. How did they do that? But you have shown partiality in matters of the law. Do we not all have one Father and one God created us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? God's displeased with them because they've not been there for each other. They, they, they might bend over backwards to help one person, but they wouldn't cross the road to help somebody else. They're showing, they're showing partiality. See, in churches, sometimes we want to pick and choose who we minister to When Jesus said, whosoever will may come. We we want to be selective about who we're kind to and and who we uh, honor and respect. When God is the creator of all of us. And God said in James that that He is no respecter of persons. And if we become respecters of people, then He can no longer bless us. See, I realize that there are some people that you're going to be naturally closer to than others. I know that you can't do everything for everybody. But when we base our decisions about ministry about and kindness and sharing God's love based on the color of somebody's skin or the amount of money in their bank account or the last time they might have had a bath, 
then God's got a problem with that. I've been to church growth seminars and I've read the books and I've seen all this stuff and, and many times they encourage churches, they say, identify your demographic. Who, figure out who it is that you're going to target and then go after that group of people. I've never really been able to wrap my spirit around that because I'm not sure that God's given me the authority to decide who gets the gospel and who doesn't. I, I mean, I get it. I understand you, you want to go over that demographic that's got the money. Right? I understand the benefits of that. It comes with some pitfalls too. But you, I understand that. I understand the concept. But I'm just, I can't make that line up with Scripture. He said, whosoever will may come. So who am I to put, to put ushers at the door and say, I'm sorry, you don't fit in our demographic. But there's a church just down the road that loves your demographic. So why don't you, are you kidding me? And though we may not say that, we, we, we make people feel so uncomfortable that eventually they get the message, oh wait, I don't fit here. I better go somewhere else. Because we're far too polite and religious to actually say it. But sometimes the loudest speaking that we do is not through our words, it's through our actions and our attitudes. body of Christ has become selective. The church has become selective. We're showing partiality in matters of the law and in matters of grace. And God's not happy with that. The blessings of God cannot be fully released on a church or a people who show favoritism. Now, verse 10 says something really interesting. It says that this is the covenant of our ancestors. This is the covenant of our ancestors. Do you realize that we have a responsibility to those who have come before us to be faithful to pass along the ministry of Jesus Christ to anybody who will listen? We have a responsibility to those that we received it from to be faithful to the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is something you probably never think of. I don't think of it very often either. But you need to understand this. Peter and James and John are watching. They're watching to see what we're going to do with what they passed on to us. Hebrews says that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. They're watching to see what it is. I believe they're cheering us on. I believe they want to see us succeed. I believe that they want to help us if they can by encouraging us to be faithful. But we're being watched by those who have come before us. The voices of those who've given their lives for the cause of Christ are crying out to us this morning. We disgrace the name of Jesus. And we trample underfoot the blood of the martyrs when we don't freely give what we've freely received. There are no prerequisites for the gospel. Nobody qualifies. There are no candidates that are more qualified than another. No one deserves His love more than another. No one deserves salvation more than another. We are all equally hopeless and equally helpless, and equally dependent upon the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And He expects us to be faithful to the integrity of the ministry to all of His children, red and yellow, black and white, rich and poor, fluffy and skinny, and short and tall, whoever you are, the Bible says that whosoever will may come. And if we're going to build a house that God can bless, then we've got to make sure that we are faithful to all of God's people. Amen. Well, that's the church. Let's talk about your house. 
Is there favoritism in your home? Parents, do you favor one child over another? Be honest with yourself. Because there's some personality types that you just tend to gravitate towards than others. And that's no less true in your children. Are you showing favoritism to your children? Kids, do you show more affection, more respect, more honor to one parent than another? Favoritism is a slow-growing disease. That's what makes it so deceptive. It's very slow-growing. But the fruit of it is bitterness and strife. And it'll tear a family apart. And it'll usually be over something really stupid. And you have no idea what it would... You, you realize that the, that the scope, of the scale of the response is so, so much bigger than the actual thing that caused it. And that's when you realize that there's something under the surface you're not seeing. We've got we've to make sure that if there's favoritism in our homes, that we pull that stuff up by the roots. Don't allow it to continue. But at the same time, don't swing so far to the other side. And say, oh, I've been favoring this one, so I'm going to go over here and I'm just going to love on this one to the exclusion of that one. No, you're just creating a different problem. Okay? Now both your children hate you. <laughs> don't overcompensate. Ask God to show you, to reveal to you honestly if you favor one child over another one. Kids, ask yourself if you favor one parent over another one and then get yourself back in line with what God's Word says, not showing any partiality, but honoring our parents, both of our parents, and, 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 and parents honoring and loving and respecting and caring for our own children without partiality. It's the only way to build a house that God can bless. Let's look at verses 11 and 12 together. Find out the next area. Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does it, he, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. There's something here in this text that you need to understand. God says... Uh, to, to Israel, that we have to be faithful in God's praise. We have to be faithful to God's people. We have to be faithful in verses 11 and 12 to God's praise. But in order for this to make sense, you need to understand that the name Judah literally means praise. When you look back at when Judah was born, and he was a person, he was born to Jacob and Jacob's wife. I don't remember if he was born to Rachel or Leah, but he was born to Jacob. He's one of the sons of Jacob. He's one of the, one of the 12 tribes is named after him and his lineage. When he was born, his name literally means praise. And so there are passage after passage in, in the Scripture. When it says Judah, you can actually transliterate that and substitute the word praise. And, and sometimes that will deepen the context. So let's look back at what this Scripture says to us here. It says, praise has been unfaithful. Praise has been unfaithful. We've already talked about honoring God with our worship in, in chapter 1. And now God brings up the issue again. Though praise was being offered, it was not being received because their hearts were not faithful. They were not wholly committed to God and God alone. The Bible says they had married foreign wives. And this is not just about what happens in their families. It's about what happens in their hearts when you've got someone who is leading you in a different direction. Foreign wives bring foreign gods. This is uh, several hundred years after Solomon... They should have already realized by Solomon's bad example that when you marry foreign wives, they bring with them their foreign gods and it will lead your heart astray. 
That was the problem that they had in this context. Praise had been unfaithful because their hearts were not faithful. They weren't wholly committed to God and God alone. Look, let me tell you this. God doesn't play second fiddle to anybody. No matter how good looking that woman is, God does not play second fiddle to her or anybody else. If you're going to praise God, then He expects to be the sole object of that praise. A heart divided is a heart that's unfaithful to both sides. You can't serve two masters, no matter who the masters are. You cannot be committed to two separate masters. What that, what that really means is you're being unfaithful to both sides. God expects all of our praise to be directed at Him and only Him. Now, Valerie loves to be complimented. Ladies, don't you like to be complimented when you look lovely? Don't you like for the, your husband to tell you you look lovely, you look beautiful? Baby, I love you. All, she loves to hear that. And, and that's natural. God built that into her. And so I tell her that as often as I can. I try, to, I try to tell her how beautiful I think she is and all of that kind of stuff. And that's great. But let me tell you something. That will cease to bring her pleasure on the day that she walks up on me telling another woman those same things. Can you even wrap your mind around what will happen? I, if I see her, I hope I have enough, if I do that, I hope I have enough wisdom to keep my mouth shut. Because if I open my mouth and try to tell her, oh baby, you're so beautiful, I just love you. Her beautiful face will be the last thing I see for several days until the swelling goes down in my eyes. I can say anything I want to say to her at that point and she ain't having none of it. That's not good English and it's not a good way to live your life. She is not having none of it. Why is that? But it no longer blesses her because it's no longer reserved for her. I profaned it. I would have profaned it by offering it to somebody outside of our covenant. I could say the same things that she always loved to hear. It doesn't accomplish the same goal anymore because she knows I haven't been faithful to her. We had a covenant and I would have violated it by doing that. It's the same thing with our praise to God. We're in covenant with Him through the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, and we say it when we take communion, we just don't pay attention to it. Again, we've, we've done it so much that it's, it's just ritual to us. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. We have a covenant with Jesus, with God through the blood of Jesus. And we can never allow our hearts to stray away from Him. He is the only one who should receive our worship and our love and our devotion and our service and our adoration. He's been faithful to us even to the point of dying on a cross for us. The least we can do is be faithful to Him in our praise. When we come into the house of God, we've got to give Him our undivided attention. When, when, when we come in, we've got to make sure that the words that we say are true and that they are never offered to anything or anybody else because God expects us to be faithful in our praise to Him. Let's look at verses 13 through 16. 
Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears and you weep and wail because He no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ever been in that place where you, you pray and you think you're worshiping and you think you're praying and being a good little Christian, but you realize that it just it feels like your prayers are not going anywhere. You're just hitting the ceiling and back, and back down on you. Or you're praising God, but he doesn't just, it just doesn't seem to be working for you. Verse 14 says, you ask why, and God says it's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her, though she's your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. The end of verse 15, it says, be on your guard and don't be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The end of verse 16 says, so be on your guard and don't be unfaithful. It seems to me that God may be trying to tell us something. He expects us to be faithful in our families. He expects us to be faithful in our families. For some reason, we've bought into this myth of compartmentalization. We, we, for some reason, believe that a lack of faithfulness in one area of our lives has nothing to do with anything in the other areas of our lives. It's one of the reasons why President Clinton was able to, to remain a very popular president despite his obvious character flaws. He clearly was not a faithful husband. Was anybody else there in the 90s? He was clearly not a faithful husband. Okay? And yet people over and over again, I remember hearing that people over and over again would say, yeah, but just because he's a bad husband doesn't mean he can't be a good president. We bought into this myth of compartmentalization. Look, let me tell you something. Unfaithfulness is a character issue. And character issues are going to get in all of your compartments, if you even have compartments. I don't even know if we got compartments, but if we got compartments, unfaithfulness, character issues is going to affect all of our compartments. If you're unfaithful in one area, you're far more likely to be unfaithful in another. People, people have, been, have not been taught that in church. We, we have been taught that if you put on the happy face and you act right at, at church and say the right things, do the right things, and everything's going to be okay. But God said in this verse, your offering and your sacrifices and your praying to me are a waste of time. They're a waste of time. Because God's not receiving it. Do you realize that how you treat your family affects your relationship with God? How you treat your family affects your relationship with God. You say, well, John, this is all New Old Testament stuff and you know, we, we're in a new covenant now. You're correct. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. It doesn't get, you, you don't get more... New Testament than Peter. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the, as the weaker partner and as heirs with, of, with you of the gracious gift of life. I want you to pay attention, gentlemen especially, but ladies as well, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. I've been in church all my life. Very rarely have I ever heard this scripture even read. Why is that? Because men, run, men are usually the pastors. <laughs> and that's kind of hard to say. How we treat our family affects our relationship with God. He said, you treat your wife with respect so that nothing hinders your prayers. We've got men worshiping God in church, or even, God forbid, leading the worship of God in church, and then emotionally and verbally and sometimes physically abusing their wives and children at home. We've got women who are honoring God at church, but dis or they think they are, 
but dishonoring and disrespecting their husbands at home. We've got children who are praising God at church, but they're being disobedient and disrespectful to their parents and to their teachers. What goes on at home affects your worship and whether God receives it or not. He does not receive worship from people who are living a double life. I told you two weeks ago, Jesus said, this is Jesus, capital J, the Jesus said, you worship Him in spirit and in truth. Which means no matter what comes out your mouth, if it's not true, He's not receiving it. It's not true worship. What goes on at home affects your worship. So we've got to get it right. We've got to get it fixed. Repent in the presence of God. The first thing that we should do if we've got unrepented sin in our lives and we come into the presence of God in time for worship, we need to repent and ask God to forgive us because that sin stands in the way of us getting in His presence. We've got to get that out of the way. And it's not God's job to do that. It's ours. We know what we're carrying. Occasionally we'll have something that snuck up on us we didn't realize we were doing it, we didn't mean to do it. But most of us know good and well what our issues are. We need to be honest enough when we come into the presence of God to say, God, forgive me. I repent. Help me to know how to do it better because I want to be in your presence. I want more and more of you. We've got a responsibility to God to be faithful to our spouses. I saw a billboard uh, last week or two weeks ago, and it, it was advertising an attorney's office. And it said, bankruptcies were as low as $499. And divorces, and I'm thinking if you had $499, you might not have to be in bankruptcy anyway. But anyway, so bankruptcies are $499. Divorces start at $189. So we are so screwed up in our society that it's now easier and cheaper to default on our marriage than it is to default on our debts. You know, those vows that we repeat before God and these witnesses, God was serious about His end. We asked Him to bless our marriages before God. He expects us to do what He told us to do to make sure that blessing comes. God takes so seriously. Marriage has seemed to become disposable. Families are being torn apart. But God expects faithfulness. And you might be saying, well, I have been faithful to my spouse. I haven't cheated on her in all these years, those I would have liked to. I have denied myself. And I have not cheated upon the wife of my youth. Hallelujah. No, you have not cheated on your wife. But neither have you done anything to improve yourself or your relationship in 28 years. Faithfulness doesn't mean you resign yourself to being miserable until death do you part. Sometimes I crack myself up. Anyway. (laughs) It means that we're committed enough to ask God to change us so that the relationships get better. See, we are all committed to seeing our spouses get better. Not so much about seeing ourselves improve. Some of us are not even willing to admit that there is room for growth on our side of the bed. Right? Our side of the marriage. We are, we're good. If God could just fix that woman. If God could just fix that sorry excuse for a man that I married, then everything will be okay. And people get divorced thinking that they're, they're going to get them a new spouse and all those problems are going to go away when they, 
if I can tell you what I've seen in 21 years of pastoral ministry and you've seen it in your experience as well, you're going to have the same problems in your next marriage because you took them with you. The problem wasn't that you needed a new model of wife. The problem was that you've got to get yourself fixed. If you don't fix the problems in you, then the problems that you have are going to continue to overwhelm your commitment to faithfulness in your marriage. Valor and I have always had a pretty good marriage, sometimes better than others, right? Everybody knows you kind of ride the roller coaster. We probably beat the curve most of the time and had a pretty good marriage. But a few years ago, we, we went to a marriage conference in Carrollton. We were riding, we were riding back to Bremen. We are going to Walmart because that's where married, people who've been married a long time go when they don't have their kids with them, right? So let's go to Walmart. Ooh, yes, baby, let's go to Walmart. So... I don't know why we went to Walmart. So we we've been we talked the whole time on the way back from Carol's. We pulled up in in Bremen Walmart, and Valerie just just let, just something just rolls out of her mouth that she has said probably a hundred times before. But for the first time, gentlemen, you'll you'll understand this. For the first time, I heard it. <laughs> she had said it before, but for whatever reason. My ears were open, I guess, from just kind of contemplating and praying and stuff in, in that environment of the marriage conference. For whatever reason, I, my heart and my mind was open, and she said something that rocked my world. And she just said it, and then she was finna get out of the car and go in Walmart. We're going to get, you know, something spiritual, you know, bagels or something. I don't know. We're going to go in there and get something. And, and, and she's just ready to go. And I'm still holding on to the steering wheel because my world has been rocked. She looked at me and, and, and not mean or hateful or nothing. She just said, you know, in your mind, you're never wrong. And some of you are agreeing with her, right? I'm assuming that's about your husband and not her husband. Thank you very much. You stay out of my marriage. Well, I'm not staying out of yours, am I? So she said, you know, in your mind, you're never wrong. And she had said that before, sometimes yelling sometimes crying or whatever, but for whatever reason, she just calm and getting ready to go buy bagels and she just drops that bomb on me and I heard it for the first time and I realized for the first time what an arrogant jerk I was to be married to sometimes. Not all the time, but there are issues, there were things that would come up and I realized that she was absolutely correct. I never, though I might have said it, I never actually entertained the notion that my perspective might have been wrong. And do you understand the pain that that causes the other person when, when they know, because they always know, that you've never really admitted that being wrong? Which means it's always their fault. Can you imagine carrying that burden of always, it, it's always your fault for 20-whatever years? It's always your fault. And it was, a, it was a turning point in our marriage and a turning point in my life. Because if you, you can't learn anything if you already know everything. And if you don't learn something, then you'll never improve. And so it changed all of my relationships because suddenly I realized that maybe somebody knew something that I didn't know. Somebody had a perspective that I didn't have. And that maybe I could learn something from anybody if I was just open to hear it. We've got to ask God to help us be faithful enough to our spouses to consider the possibility that we may need to be the one that gets fixed. 
Ask God to fix you. Be faithful enough to ask God to be to fix you so that you can be faithful to your family. It's the only way that God can bless this church or bless your house. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3. We, haven't, we didn't read this, so let's read this together. If you're still there, Malachi 3, we'll start in verse 6. I, the Lord, don't change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and haven't kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Verse 8 says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But, ha- but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Only time in the scripture this ever says that that I recall, it says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. God expects us to be faithful to His people. He expects us to be faithful to His praise. He expects us to be faithful to our families. And He expects us to be faithful in our finances. God said to the people, you've robbed me. Now how in the world does a human rob God? And and Israel asked the same question. He said, you've robbed me in tithing and offering. Let Let me be clear about this. Let me help you understand this. Tithing and giving is not a money issue. Tithing and giving is a character issue. Tithing and giving is not about money. God does not need money. God doesn't need anything. Anytime God tells us to do something, it's not for His benefit, it's for ours. We can stop doing it all day long and God's power will not be diminished. His feelings will not be hurt. He is God all by Himself all day long and twice on Sunday. He does not need you to do anything for Him. So if He tells you to do something, it's not for Him, it's for you. And God says you need to be faithful in your finances. The issue that he's bringing to the people and the issue that, that he's bringing to us today is a character issue. It's the issue of faithfulness. The people were not being faithful in bringing to God what belongs to him. Now look, you know this, I am not a money preacher. It, it, if, if there's one piece of advice people gave me as soon as they heard I was a lead pastor, well, you better, not, you better not talk about money. You know them people will leave when you talk about money. And I get that, and it's all, you know, I've heard that, and that's all good. And if anything, I've swung too far to the other side. So I'm not a money preacher, but I am a preacher of the Word. And the Word talks more about money than it does about any other single subject. More about heaven and hell, more than about love, more than about salvation. So if money is not a big deal to God, why in the world does He talk about it so much? Because it's a big deal to us. Ain't no thing to Him. He don't need money. Big deal to us. Because how you handle your money is a reflection of your character. It shows whether you're wise or wasteful. It shows whether you're generous or stingy. It shows whether you're kingdom focused or earthly focused. And according to God, it demonstrates whether or not you are faithful. Now money is a big deal to people, especially in church. Can I at least somebody say amen on that? It is a big deal in church. 
You can tell more about a person's commitment to their church from their giving than you can from their attendance. On the way in, as people are coming to try a church, then generally their bodies are sitting in the pews long before their money shows up. They're testing it out, trying to see if this is a a decent place to invest their funds. And when they get upset about something, or when they're thinking of leaving, then the money generally disappears before their bodies do. That's just, that's just a fact. I, I, I don't know. I do not. Missy's here, so she can, she can verify. I, I don't ask for the list of givers every week. I don't look at that. I look at, I look at, at stewardship stuff once a year so that I can verify that the leaders of our church are being faithful in giving to God. So I sign those in December of every year. All the quarterly stuff, as we send those out, she stamps my name. Okay? Deep, dark secret. I just pulled the curtain back. She has a stamp with my name on it. All right, so she does that. I'm, so I'm not, I'm not in the office every Monday morning pouring over who gives and who doesn't. So I don't know your business, so you can, you can relax. I'm just saying that the fact is, and I've heard this over and over again from pastors who apparently do look, that the money shows up last and disappears first. You can tell more about a person's commitment to their church by their giving than about their attendance. So, if God had so much advice about money in the Bible, do you not think that He pays attention to what you do with yours? Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. You'll remember, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it's He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Our money and our ability to get money comes from God. We don't do anything apart from His strength and from the favor that He gives us. So it's all His and because of Him anyway. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Our, uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our financial priorities will lead our hearts. Your financial priorities will lead your heart. Your heart follows where your money goes. If Morgan grows up, to, and she's in kids' church now, so if she grows up, and she'll be horrified because she's an Alabama fan, but if, if Morgan grows up and decides she wants to go to Auburn University, and I'm paying for her to go to Auburn, I will swallow hard, but I'll go buy me some blue and orange, and I will wear it every once in a while. <laughs> Why is that? Would I ever consider wearing any, any flavor of orange? No. Blue maybe, but not orange. Why would I wear blue and orange? Because my child is at Auburn University, and not just my child. What else is there? My money is at Auburn University. And so my heart followed my money down Interstate 85. Right? Your heart, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. You can lead your heart to the right thing through your money. The tithe is 10% of your income. And there's lots to say about it and lots to learn about it. And I'll teach you those things in the, in the months and years to come as God leads me to. But for today, the focus is on faithfulness. Let me ask you this question. Are we more committed to our hobbies than we are to God? Are we, com- more, are we more committed to our bills than we are to God? Are we more concerned with the credit bureau's assessment of us than we are God's assessment of us? And look, I've made no bones about the fact that money has been a big deal to me in my life. I've been completely transparent about that, probably more than I should have been. But I'm just trying to be real with you, okay? Money was a big deal, is a big deal in my life. When you grow up poor, 
It affects different people differently. It affected me by making me stingy. I want to hold on to everything I can get my hands on because I realize that money doesn't grow on trees. And so I want to try to hold on and try to make sure that everybody's got what everybody needs. It's a character flaw that I'm dealing with. you got your own character flaws to deal with. And nobody said, Amen. <laughs> Let me, Amen, John, that's good stuff. Y'all got character flaws too. I'm dealing with mine. I suggest you deal with yours as well. And I'm going to tell you the truth, and you're going to think I've lost my mind, but Secure Give, our online um, giving and, and, uh, and mobile app, has been the best thing that's ever happened to me in the area of faithfulness and giving. I have been more faithful in my tithing and my giving. You can ask Missy that too because she sees everything, right? So I've been more faithful in my giving and my tithing uh, since I've been using Secure Give than I ever have in my life. It doesn't mean that, that I owe back tithes or anything. All that's caught up, I promise. Everything's good, all right? Valerie and I have been tithing and giving for as long as we understood that that was in the Word and that's what God expected us. We finally went to a church that loved us enough to preach the truth of the Word about giving, about our money. And so we began this journey. It's a journey for us. Maybe it just clicked for you, but we began this journey of learning to be faithful to God in our finances. And so it, it, for years, my inconsistency has, has brought conviction to me and brought frustration to her because she's, she's a giver. And she just don't care how many bills we got. You give God first, and if God t- lays it on her heart to give $100 to somebody, we're going to give $100 to somebody. Amen. Whether any bills get paid or we're sitting in the dark, not watching TV. <laughs> but we will have been faithful. And that's, you know, she's got her own deal, things to deal with. That's just not a thing for her. It's, it's, it's just second nature for her. It's a deal for me. So I've played all the games. I'd write the check on payday, right, like a good little faithful Christian supposed to do, and I put it in my pocket. And then, you know, Sunday rolls around, and you start looking at the checkbook, and you're like, oh, getting a little tight. I'm not sure if we're going to make this or not. So let me just hold on to this check till next week. I'm still reserving your tithe, Lord. I'm going to keep it safe right here. Knowing good and well that you're spending that money that you wrote that check on, Right? I've played, I've played all the games. You can't, you can't teach me a new trick in all of that. Right? You take that, you carry that thing on vacation with you. That's your emergency fund. <laughs> the problem with doing that is that next week you've had another payday, so now it's 20%. And if you didn't have the money to give your 10%, then you probably don't have your money to give 20%. And it's a vicious cycle that repeats itself over and over again. And it has finally, it, uh, because of this app because of this, uh, this, this functionality, now as soon as my paycheck sh- shows up in my account, then I just go on to, to secure give and I give it. And it's gone. 45 seconds and it's gone. I do it before I have time to think about it. I do it before I have time to talk myself out of it. And then the only way I can get it's not coming back. There is no suck it back in my account button. All right? Once it's gone, it's gone. We requested that version of secure give. Don't let them change their mind. Because then the only way to get that money back is to call Missy and say, Missy, can you write me a check, a refund check for my tithe this week? I still need it. <laughs> and Missy's like, no. No, I cannot. <laughs> now some of you are thinking, it is pathetic that we got a pastor that doesn't even trust himself enough 
any more than that. He's got to, he's got to play games with himself to, to get all that. Look, at least I'm man enough to admit my issue, my character flaw, and I'm man enough to figure out a, pre, a, a way to deal with it. I would challenge you to do the same thing with your character flaws and your issues. All right? I'm not being hateful. I'm just saying, this is my deal. What's your deal? It doesn't matter what your deal is. All your character flaws, all sins, it requires self-control and self-discipline to overcome them. This is the way I'm disciplining myself. So you come up with a way to discipline yourself and let's all get ourselves on the, on the track to faithfulness because that's what God expects of us. If you haven't been faithful in tithing and giving, then let me tell you what, what God said in verse 10. He said, try me and see. Test me and see. So I'm just challenging you to do that. For the next three months, I would just challenge you to, to give. To give your tithe. Bring it to God and see what He'll do with it. And if you, at the end of three months, if you're not happy with where you are in God, you don't feel like you're more blessed, you don't feel like you're in the, in the place where you can continue, then stop. You're like, ooh, Pastor John. Look, that's not my deal. That's God's deal. God said, try me. And if there was no option out, then it wouldn't be a test. God said, prove me and see if I won't do it. I'm confident enough in, in the Word of God and in my own experience and in the testimony of, the, of dozens of people that are sitting around you, I'm confident enough to know that God is going to do something in your life Amen. because of your faithfulness. When you're faithful to Him, He is faithful to you. He says you're under a curse, but when you're faithful to me, then you're going to be blessed. It's not that He curses you when you don't pay, give your tithe and that He blesses you when you do. You're already cursed. And I don't want to get into another teaching, but you're already cursed. The, the tithe, bringing your tithe removes the curse. It gives Him the ability to bless you. So I would just challenge you to do that. Mark, if you don't mind, come and play something so I'll quit. One more scripture. First rule of holes is when you find yourself in one, quit digging, right? I have never known anybody who, who regretted giving. I've known a lot of people, including myself, who wish they had been more faithful. But I've never known anybody who said, yeah, I've been faithful for 30 years and I just really wish I had not given all, all that money. Let's look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In the NIV it says, Now it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. In the King James and New King James it says, It's required of stewards that you be faithful. Everything that we have, everything that we see, the people around us, our families, our finances, everything comes from God and belongs to God. And without God, we wouldn't have any of it. They're just ours to take care of. That's the definition of a steward. That's what a steward does. He takes care of other people's stuff. And what's the one quality that God says is required of stewards? Faithfulness. So it is required of stewards that you're found faithful. If you're going to build a house that God can bless, if we're going to be a church that God can bless, then we've got to build on a foundation of love. We've got to raise walls of honor, honoring God with our worship, with our words, with our walk, and with our work. And we've got to put a roof of faithfulness over it to cover and protect and defend what we've committed to God. And we've got to be faithful to God, God's people, God's praise faithful in our families and faithful in our finances. Why don't you stand with me, please? I know we're going long here today and, and I apologize for that, but, you know, what would you leave out? God ministering to people in the altar, God preaching the Word, baptizing the saints. 
I, know, I trust God enough and I know God enough to, to know this, that God has already through His Holy Spirit told you what you need to work on. I just told you what my business is. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just telling you to be honest with yourself and honest with God and ask Him to give you the strength to overcome whatever area of unfaithfulness that you've got. Maybe you've been partial to one group of people or another. Maybe you've got prejudice in your heart. That's not... That's, that's just not of God. You've got to get that out. Maybe you're divided in your praise to God. You, pray, you try to praise Him on this side of your mouth, but you're trying to also be committed on the other side. That's not, that's not pleasing to God. Maybe we've been unfaithful to our families, abusive or unpleasant or unwilling to change. Or maybe we've been unwilling, uh, unfaithful to God in our tithing and giving. Whatever your issue is, whatever your problem is, then I would just invite you to come and ask God to give you the plan show you the way to discipline yourself so that you can overcome those character flaws and be faithful to God. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm not, I'm not you and I'm not your Holy Spirit. I just trust you enough to be God. I trust the Spirit enough to be the Spirit to convict sin, to reprove, to correct, to bring us to right relationship with you. And I ask that you do that in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor John Butler at Covenant Life Church in Bremen, Georgia. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.covenantlifebremen.org. We look forward to meeting you soon.